Good evening. Have you ever had a project or something that you call, you know, like your baby, for example, like a business or a book or whatever it is that you may have actually started? Not only did you start it, but you put everything you have into it for a chance that you might get more out of it. Well, God has the same thing. And his isn't a business or a research paper. It's his church. And that's what we'll be talking about this evening. Like always, it's nice to worship and to spend the day worshiping as a church. Isaiah 2 is where you're going to want to be. Isaiah 2. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. My PowerPoints look so good on screen, but now they just look really creepy. And uh, <laughs> uh, Before we dive too much further in the, in the lesson or, or go into it, I want to get our minds centered around missions and what, uh, what missions are. Missions are, are very important. Missions give us drive and they help us to envision a brighter future. And if we are to succeed, then we need a mission, a purpose as to why we do what we do. That's why you hear of mission statements and why people go in the great depths to find their inner self in order to better understand their mission in life. And God understands what, hum- what we as humans are like and what makes us tick. We are a part of Him. And so who better to be our God and our, our motivation? Who better than to create for us a, a plan and a drive for, for work on this earth? Missions are positive in nature. And they are about what we should be doing. We don't create mission statements listing off things we don't do. But missions and mission statements are full of do's, action points that give us clarity on what we're supposed to be filling our time with and, we, and where we are, are going with those action steps taken. Isaiah 2, if you haven't already turned there, Isaiah 2, verses 2 and to 3. Here, this shows the prophecy and God's plan for his church. And this is almost a word-for-word quote from Micah 4, verses 1 and 2, both of whom lived at the same time. And if we read the first sentence there, it says, it shall come to pass in the latter days. Now, I want you to just understand that this was written about 2,800 years from today and about 800 years from the beginning of God's church in Acts 2. And that's just miraculous to think about and to contemplate as we go through some of these passages and how God was, had his hand in all of these, these steps. Now, verse 2, it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his way, and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. Notice it mentions mountain of the house of the Lord. So at first glance, one might be thinking it's talking about the temple of Jerusalem. However, notice what it says in the later part of that verse. In verse 3, it says, All the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come. So not just the Jews, but who? Right? All nations, consisting of all peoples. This is a prophecy about God's church. And notice what it says in verse 3, that he may teach us his way and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go to law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. There is a flow, a flow in and out of the church here that covers two points that we'll be talking about tonight. 
And in Greek, the, the word church is referred to as ekklesia, which back then meant just a gathering, a gathering of any kind. And it wasn't until more recently that that became a religious term. And in some places of the Bible, it may refer to the church as the kingdom. And the kingdom is not just individuals that make up Milwaukee Avenue Church of Christ, but any other local gathering of Christians that practice what God says. But in the end, when we are here, when we're here as a gathering, we are a church. The idea is meant to be descriptive, describing who we are, a gathering of Christians worshiping God. But there, of course, is so much more. The first mission of the church, and this is in no particular order of importance, but is to worship God. What good, think about that, what good would it do to come together and not worship the one that made all of this happen, that had this church in mind from the very beginning, from creation, and God reveals this to us in Ephesians 3. Turn over with me to Ephesians 3. You're going to want to stay in Ephesians because there'll be a couple passages we'll look at in Ephesians. But Ephesians 3, verses 9 and 11, 9 through 11, Say this, our purpose should be, according to verse 9, to bring to light for everyone that to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. So at the very least, at the very least, God deserves to be recognized by his creation. And in any relationship, if we think about it, in any relationship, if we want that relationship to grow, well, then we praise that person for the good qualities and work that they show. God, who has given us the ability to do and be good and, and created life, deserves our praise and this is just one way our relationship with him grows. And in turn, worship also helps us, helps us focus. It keeps our mind on what is important and who is important. And in turn, we are renewed and we are filled with joy and happiness and uh, positivity. God knows that music has an impact on us. And we see this from as early as Genesis. And if we take King David, for example, in his Psalms, when he praises God, he praises God tremendously. And it's in these psalms that he praises God with each fluctuation of emotion to keep himself balanced. Right? It's an, it's an example of adoration, of honor. And it should be the same for us as a church when we praise and worship God. Let's look more closely a couple chapters. Ephesians 5, just a couple chapters over. Ephesians 5, verses 19 through 21. Ephesians 5, verses 19 through 21, it says in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Notice what it says there in verse 19, addressing one another, meaning actually just speaking to one another in encouragement and exhortation interaction with each other and those around us is a way that we can show praise and worship to God. The question is, how do we address or speak to one another while also praising God? Well, if we keep reading there, it, it says, psalms, 
hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with our hearts. See, without our heart, and I mean all of our heart and all of our will and desire, those psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are just words. The meaning comes when we can apply it to our life and create almost this this lesson, if you will. And this is why David uses terms like a joyful noise, shout to God with with loud songs of joy in his psalms. And that's what we should be thinking about when we come together and sing to the Lord. Songs are often abstract ideas. Abstract ideas meant to move us in ways that create action. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, what were we thinking about in those last songs? Or what will we be thinking about in the invitation song? Now look at verse 20. Same, same passage, Ephesians 5, verse 20. It says, give thanks always and for everything. Giving thanks. Giving thanks is another way to worship Him. And we can do it through psalms and hymns. However, we can also worship God and give thanks through our prayers and our study of the Word. And Psalm 95, verses 1 through 3, re-examines what we've been looking at. And it says, O come, let us sing to the Lord, and let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. And let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God. See, God wants the best for us. He knows that thankfulness leads to joy. And praising God isn't just for him as if he's some narcissist on a throne. Instead, he wants the best for us, saying, With thanksgiving, let us make joyful noise. Verse 2. So, we also, we also find joy in our praise and our worship. Look with me at Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17. Turn with me there to Colossians 3. Here, Paul shows worshiping God and giving thanks in other ways than just, than just singing. Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17. And he says in 15, Let the peace of Christ be in control in your heart. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with all, all grace in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This passage leads perfectly into our next mission as a New Testament church. Notice what it says there in verse 16. Teaching and exhorting one another. What does that mean? Well, not only can we worship God in this building and and through music, but we can worship him in our daily lives, right? And how we speak about God. This assists us in how we edify one another. And it's another important mission of the church. Edification is just another fancy religious term that means to instruct and improve, especially in moral and religious knowledge. That's according to the Webster definition. And if we think of edification, a synonym that might come to mind is to be enlightened, enlightening. And in the original Greek text, what we see is this concept of building up and building up one another. Speaking to the Corinthians, for example, Paul teaches saying, let all things be done unto edifying. And if you have the King James Bible, this word and concept can be found in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, where it will say, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, 
just as you also are doing. And if you have, according to the ESV, therefore encourage and build up one another, just as you already are doing. See, the word itself isn't as important as the meaning that the word edify means, especially in this context. And what we're looking at in this context is two things. And looking at this verse, do you, do you see them? It's to encourage, right? And build up. Encouraging can be difficult. It can be difficult for some of us who have a hard time encouraging ourselves. But the beauty of the church and this gathering of God-fearing people is that we don't have to encourage each other alone or wait to fix ourselves. See, together we have an opportunity to encourage and build up each other. And this comes with the idea. The idea that we want our brothers and sisters to be their very best. Their very, very best spiritually and physically. Hebrews 3, 12-13. This encourages us by saying... Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you in an evil, unbelieving heart leading, to, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, and if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end." We tell ourselves lies if we think that we can handle all these difficulties alone. Because we just can't. And this is why we need Christ in our lives. And and brethren, aspiring to be Christ-like. See, I encourage you to go out. I encourage you to try to uplift some of your brethren. Not, you know, not, not yesterday, but today. And not tomorrow, but today, as it says. It doesn't matter if it's Sunday or Sunday night. There is no block of time. No block of time that doesn't, doesn't need some sort of positivity. No block of time in our life that can't be filled with some sort of positivity. And I wrote about this in an article a few months ago called Build Your City. And if you want to read that, you can get with me after. But in this article, I talked about building a relationship is like, is like building cities. Right? We all have people and connections and friends and family, and it creates this metaphorical city of ours. Building one another, one another up takes time, right? And it can, it can be done brick by brick, but if we are like Christ and we are persistent in wanting to help one another, then no brick should be in vain. Before we know it, each one of those bricks that we use to build each other up can turn into this beautiful building, this beautiful relationship And as a group, as a church, with the same goal of seeing and desiring to be with Christ, well then people, people should be our business and emphasizing the importance of salvation. However, we should should want to build up from where that person is, right? So if they are sad, then we should want to build up. If they are happy, then we should want to build them up. Our goal as a church should be to build each other up and ourselves up to him. Isaiah shows us what this looks like in Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57, turn over there and look with me at Isaiah 57 verses 14 and 15. Isaiah 57 verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, and it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way Remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, 
I dwell in the high and lowly place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. See, nobody, nobody should come here and walk through these doors, or walk out these doors more like, worse than when they came, or feel even further down. Instead, they should, this should be a place where we allow God to be uplifted so that he and we, in turn, uplift each other. As a church, we should leave this building a better person, ready to conquer using the strength of God's love, his word, and his brethren to handle any evil that comes our way. This type of of edification between brothers and sisters should challenge us in ways that stimulate growth and encourage us to be better, more faithful Christians. And this leads to what is pictured in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. To many of us, this is a common passage, but it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Edification from our brethren as a church leads to this renewal of mind, as it says in verse 2. This is a type of life-changing enlightenment, if you will, that encourages, encourages us and builds us up And helps those that are saved keep a stronger faith. Edification not only helps those that are saved stay saved, but it also equips those with tools and knowledge necessary to reach the lost. See, Caleb's lesson last Sunday night did just that. That was a lesson that you wanted to write notes down and try to absorb as much information as possible. But the lost aren't people that that we should look at as if they're infected or contagious, they don't have leprosy. They are not people that are less than ourselves. The lost are simply people, right? Human beings made in the image of God that may not know Jesus or consider the importance of salvation. Everyone, everyone deserves to hear the gospel message. That means people who are different from us or perhaps have different opinions. It shouldn't matter because there is no disqualification for hearing and accepting salvation through Jesus. And this may be difficult for some of us to hear, but God doesn't want us to mentally judge or qualify a certain individual for salvation. He doesn't. Judgment is his job alone. We are not about discriminating anyone from God's love, salvation, and kingdom. And by kingdom, as mentioned earlier, I mean God's church. What we are about is spreading God's word, his love, and his story of his son, all people. Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. What does it say there? It says, the whole creation. Meaning all people. All people made in his image, God's image. Not those that mimic our own image or what we look for in human beings. No. What it should be about is bringing people to salvation through Jesus to be a part of his kingdom. The kingdom being the church, a gathering of of faithful believers, which includes this one and many other like this one, many of which are doing the work and trying to fulfill the mission 
of the New Testament church which God has set in place. Turn over to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, and this is going to be the parable of the sower I want to look at. And Jesus is presenting this to the crowd. And here the sower represents those that are already part of God's kingdom, people who are sowing the seed. The seed is God's word to different types of ground. And the ground representing the different types of people in this world. That's just a general synopsis of this parable. And we're going to start by reading verse 3. All the way till 9. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell among the paths, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell in the rocky soil, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprung up. And since they had no depth of soil, they, but the sun rose, and they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell in the good soil and produced grain, some of a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. To many, this is a familiar parable. And I taught about it a few months ago, but to some of us, it may not be as familiar. What I want us to notice, though, in this passage is that Jesus is showing us in this parable how the sower is sowing the seed. What he's not doing is deliberately putting the seed in the certain types of soil, meaning he's delivering the good news to certain people. That's not what he's doing. Instead, he's simply spreading God's word, the seed to all people. What is he do? How is he doing that? Blindly, allowing God's word and his power to work in the hearts of all creation. God's message is simply for those who have ears to hear. And by ears, I literally mean those with ears. Human beings, all people. Look at verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. It's one of our missions. One of our missions as a church and as God's people to spread his word. Nate gave a great lesson last Sunday morning about the Great Commission and what that means for us as a church. And so I don't want to elaborate too much on that this evening, but... It's important when it comes to understanding what are the missions and the great works of God's kingdom. The only way God's kingdom, the New Testament church, is going to grow is through the sowing of the seed, right? And this can happen in our daily lives. It can be a kind word, a casual mention, or a deeper conversation about God and and his people. It has been said, for example, the best form of advertising is by word of mouth. Not that we're selling a product because we're not, but... But that's exactly what God has given us, our voice, right, our, our mouth. And we should be expressing the effect Jesus has in our life. That might mean evangelizing in person or online. However, it has to come not only from our works, our actions, but our words. That's very important. This comes from every part of us, mind, body, and soul. And as Christians, we need to be willing to live it, speak it, and to aspire to be Christ-like. It's not worry about what other people appear to be. Only God knows the heart. It's once we have reached the loss that teaching becomes the next priority. And what we see here is a full circle of teaching and edification, keeping the saved saved. And thankfully, thankfully to the church, this is the process that makes it more efficient for the sowers. When we come together as a church on Sunday, I know it can be difficult to remember why we're here sometimes. We get caught up in our daily lives. We just want to be fed so we can make it through the next week. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's important. 
And I pray that you get that strength. However, it's just as important to not forget our mission and our work as a gathering of Christians and what we are to do by worshiping God and strengthening our heart, to edify one another by encouraging and building up and and renewing our minds. And then after that last amen, after we are dismissed, to leave uplifted and ready to do God's work in our daily lives, spreading the seed. This message tonight is it's just a friendly reminder that we are here for each other and our mission as a New Testament church. God's word and love encompasses all human beings, and his wish is that all human beings become a part of his kingdom. And as a church, it should be our wish and our mission as well. And if tonight you're wanting to be a part of that kingdom and the awesome purpose and divine mission, well, then we encourage you to accept what Jesus said in the passage we looked at earlier in Mark 16, verse 15, as well as verse 16. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So much good work comes from being a part of God's kingdom. The amazing things that we can do, the people that we can reach. And it's just about having a relationship with God and his people. And that's life-changing. Acts 2.47 shows how good this can be by saying, Praising God and having favor with all people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now is the time to accept Jesus' message for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you want to be with him at eternity, that's what you'll need to do. And if it's your wish, then please come forward and believing and wanting to be baptized.